I think there are some mental health challenges that you might face as a queer person that a heterosexual therapist or a cisgender therapist just might not have come across. So it's not so much like it's deliberately not being taught. I think it's so helpful and affirming to come into contact with other people who are queer and kind of seek peer support type of resources. And it's also so helpful to receive the right gender and sexuality affirming care from a therapist. So for instance, Mm. one of the video therapy courses that we have on the Calder app is managing gender dysphoria. And that's developed by a trans therapist who's actually been through that and, and has struggled with that themselves. So that's a very kind of specific thing that people face it's quite difficult to google it's quite difficult to find like trusted resources there is stuff out there about it but to get it straight from a trans therapist who's really been through it i think is really valuable so it's not so much that a heterosexual or cisgender therapist can't speak to that at all hello and welcome to this is hcd my name is jerry scullion and I'm a designer, educator, and the host of This Is 8CD, based in the wonderful city of Dublin, Ireland. Now, our goal here is to have conversations that inspire and help move the dial forward for organisations to become more human-centred in their approach to solving complex business and societal problems. Now, for subscribers on our podcast, on the newsletter, you will have read recently that we're getting closer and closer to our a massive milestone on the podcast, and that is our millionth download. We're currently in around 860,000 downloads. I wanted to give a huge shout out to everyone who has messaged us recently to congratulate us. Thank you so much. One thing you can do is subscribe to the podcast by hitting that subscribe or follow button wherever you're listening to the podcast. It'll mean we can stay in touch and you can get notified when an episode drops. Now in this episode, I caught up with Charlotte Fontaine, an absolutely incredible service designer. Okay, we speak about Calda, a service which really honestly has opened my eyes through my own naivety and in exposure to the needs of people within the LGBTQIA community, we chat about the nuances that persist for people within that community to access therapy and how Calda offers a community-led service that includes connecting people with therapists who can better relate to the needs from people within the LGBTQIA community. Listen, I was quite nervous speaking about this topic. And I bring this very fact up in the conversation of why I was feeling this, how I personally can continue my own learning journey to become more aware and become a much better ally to the community. Hopefully my vulnerability can help others who may feel the same and build on this and have conversations to help grow and support the community better. Now, if you like what we're doing at This Is Hate City, you can really help us out by leaving a review wherever you listen to this podcast. It only takes a couple of minutes. Or if you want to go one better, you can become a patron where you can get an ad-free stream of the podcast for as little as €1.66 per month, folks. It really helps me out, it helps the podcast out, and it helps us keep the lights on. And literally all the money goes towards editing, hosting, and maintaining our website, which is a repository of human-centered design goodness with well over 250 episodes now. Let's jump straight in. Charlotte, a very warm welcome to This Is HCD. How's it going? Hey, how's it going? Yeah, thanks for having me on the pod. No worries, no worries. Maybe we'll start off, I usually start off with one question that um, most people will know, but for our listeners, maybe start off, tell them a little bit about yourself, where you're from and what you do. My name's Charlotte, my pronouns are she and her. I'm based in East London and I'm the co-founder of Calder, the LGBTQIA plus mental wellbeing app. And when I'm not working on that, I'm also a freelance service designer. Very cool. Okay. 
So the bit we connected on is Calda. You mentioned it there. Um, maybe we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that and you know how you came about, you know, the 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 actual problem that you saw firsthand and through research on on this this new mental is it did you say I'm gonna start that one again. It is a mental health app, isn't it? It's a dedicated yes. mental health app. All right, yes. okay. So maybe let's talk a little bit more around Calda, okay? Because it's a mental health app and we want to try and understand, you know, your experience and how this all came about. So how well, tell me a little bit more of the background to it. Yes. Um so Calda started because um three of us got together three co-founders daniel botchaby aldi and myself and um we were doing a lot of research around lgbt mental health because we were finding that when it came to finding therapists who understood our lived experience so for me i've struggled with anxiety and i'm also bisexual and i haven't found a therapist who's able to kind of speak to that so Mm. um with our friends having kind of similar experiences and knowing that kind of the process of um, realizing that you're queer, coming out, speaking to people, starting to like pursue those first relationships, that whole kind of Mm. process, which can, you know, take years for some people and like days for others. um, That process can be really stressful and really alienating. Um, So we wanted to create something where people could actually receive gender and sexuality affirming support in a way that was like private on their phones, um, and actually kind of empower people mm. that way to get the gender and sexuality affirming support that they need. Well, why do you think there is such a gap there in being able to find therapists with this level of experience that can provide the support and service to the people who need it? What's, so, what's happening there? Yeah, our discovery research kind of uncovered maybe a, sort of three blockers to um, getting the right LGBT friendly mental health support. One of them is the stigma that we face as a community in general, which means that we're more likely to struggle with our mental health. So um, people in the LGBT community are more likely than the general population to struggle with things like anxiety and depression. So one issue is just the, the demand is very high. And then the second is the supply is low. So being an LGBT friendly therapist is kind of like a specialism and therefore it can be a bit more expensive and it can be harder to find um, a therapist. And I guess the other is um, in terms of in the, here in the UK, it's difficult to for the NHS to provide like minority specific mental health support. So people in any minority group are struggling with their mental health more than others because they're in a minority group and because they experience stigma and discrimination. And then it's difficult to get the right mental health support. Hmm. It's how big is the community in the UK at the moment? Um, that you know the, the if you want the target audience size for um or how big is the community generally that called is, is aiming for yes um so the census data's just come out and i just don't have it to mm. hand so i can't quote it but um but i think it's big i think it's growing i think so many more people in the younger generation are feeling more able to come out as trans or as queer or whatever. Um, Mm. 
than say in our parents' generation. And I think that's really liberating um, in some ways. And then in other ways, it can be really difficult because they're coming out in a world that's still very heteronormative. Um, So I do think that the, the kind of LGBT and queer population is definitely growing. Yeah, it's it, it's funny, like I'm, as I was saying to you before, I'm in my mid-40s and I grew up in a primarily Catholic background, Catholic, Catholic household. So I'm still learning, okay, and it, it's taken me a, an awful long time to be vulnerable enough with the community to be able to say that, uh, you know, I, I, I may put a foot wrong here, here and there in this conversation when I'm talking about some of this stuff, but I've got a lot of friends who identify as trans uh, and I'm learning all the time. Okay. So this is a topic that really interests me. Okay. Because there's large gaps in my background, primarily, but due to my forming as a teenager, and I'm trying to understand a lot more about how we as designers in the design community can support people. Some of this stuff may come as a surprise to people that there's actually a lack of services in a Western world, imagine as well, to support people who need it. Um, so how far back do you feel the problem goes? Does it go back to psycho- or psychology and university, like an academia in terms of how they're actually creating and, and training um, psychologists right back at that start, starting point? Or is, it, is the problem when people are in the workplace that they just tend to... Um, only provide support to to the the general population i think it's a mashup of things i think there are some Mm. um there are some mental health challenges that you might face as a queer person that a um a heterosexual therapist or a cisgender therapist just might not have come across so it's not so much um like you know, it's deliberately not being taught. I think it's just, it's so helpful and affirming to come into contact with other people who are queer and kind of seek peer support type of um, resources. And it's also so helpful to receive the right gender and sexuality affirming care from a therapist. So for Mm. instance, one of the video therapy courses that we have on the Calder app is managing gender dysphoria. And that's developed by a trans therapist who's actually been through that and, and has struggled with that themselves. So that's a very kind of specific thing that people face. It's quite difficult to Google. It's quite difficult to find like trusted resources. There is stuff out yeah. there about it, but to get it straight from um, a trans therapist who's really been through, through it, I think is really valuable. Um, so it's not so much that um a heterosexual or a cisgender therapist can't speak to that at all it's just I think if somebody's struggling with that then it's easy for them to access like an affordable app on their phone and maybe have therapy as well and maybe Mm. you know do other things that support their mental health like exercise um like connecting with friends all of these things are kind of part of you know part of our our mental health with therapy and things like mental health apps just being one aspect of looking after your mental health um i think and then there's also things like um internalized homophobia so lots of people who are gay experience internalized homophobia and that can be because um They've experienced homophobia in their past, maybe at school. They've experienced homophobia um, with 
you know, their parents or their family. And then if you then go into a therapeutic setting and you have somebody who doesn't understand homophobia or hasn't experienced homophobia, or maybe even says something homophobic by accident, Mm. then that is, I guess that's not helpful in your kind of therapeutic journey. So that's Mm. why I think that something like Calder is just so, so, so helpful because it's actually developed by therapists who understand and then so yeah that's I guess that's why it's been such a pleasure to like create it and see people using it yeah absolutely I'm I'm a little bit taken taken aback I'll be honest um Charlotte because you know I'm I'm heterosexual I was born a man and um there's a there's a level of ignorance on my own part uh that I didn't realize just how poor the supporting services were around being able to provide this this service to to the lgbtqi plus um you know community it's um i'm trying i'm trying to fathom what that must be like as an individual who's yeah in need i think and it's, not be able to get, yeah it's it's crazy yeah i think it's really up and down as well because um like i've had six sessions of cognitive behavioral therapy for anxiety mm. on the nhs and I found it massively helpful. You know, there was things about it where I felt it, it was in person. This is way before COVID. It had to be in mm. person. There was lots of things that I thought we could design this service so much better. And I think as a service designer, you're constantly, every time you're interacting with services that are completely clunky and don't work, not that I want to slag off the NHS, don't get me wrong. Um, Every time you're interacting with services that don't work, you kind of have this urge to get stuck in and fix it, which is a bit exhausting, isn't it? I'm sure that you have that as well. So I think, I think it's good and bad because that, that six weeks of therapy that I had was genuinely life-changing and it made me think I wish we could provide this kind of even better I wish we could provide this digitally I wish we could provide this for young people who don't necessarily want to speak to a therapist or you know people who are really shy who don't want to go to a group therapy session and then so on the flip on one side I think there are still you know brilliant mental health resources out there for whatever your sexuality or gender there's no reason that you can't connect with those and I think some Mm. people find things like I don't know bloom or headspace other mental health apps they find that they suit their needs but I do think that there are some specific challenges that we're facing that need specific support and then I also think there's some really idiosyncratic ways that LGBT people are failed by the health system so an example of this is like if you're a woman who has sex with women you go to the doctor about um, about something and they ask you if you're pregnant, which they seem to do every single time that you're at the doctor. And um, I think lots of people have experiences where the doctor's like, well, maybe you should do a test anyway, or you're sexually active, so you could be pregnant. And obviously a nice. woman who has sex with women isn't going to have that problem. Um, yeah. And that that is like a kind of example of like heteronormative bias just seeping into our services. And that I think can be exhausting for people. It's always eye opening. Um, and it was only recently for me that I was having a conversation with um, somebody who was of an older generation in their eighties. And um, I couldn't believe the level of prejudice that mm. existed in the conversation so as i was saying before i'm i'm in my 40s and i'm i'm carrying stuff like in in my background but i've absolutely no prejudice 
you know, about anyone in, in the community here that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could see how older generations, they really struggle um, with, you know, all, all of the, the kind of the evolution of the community and, and the prominence in the community. Not me, um, but I'm, I'm really keen to understand what this looks like for older psychologists mm-hmm. uh, out there at the moment because like we're, we're going to talk about Calder in a minute but there's a lot of psychologists in the UK who might be older and harboring similar prejudices what work can be done in that space to make um, the psychologist or do you feel that that's even appropriate um, in terms of educating the older psychologists who, who may have these prejudices sitting in their background is that something that was tackled in the research for Calder? I think it's hard and I've sort of got a mixture of feelings about it. You know, mm. um, we ended up as two co-founders. So myself and Daniel, Daniel. Botchaby, yeah. um, who has a background in mental health services as well. So he was the head of product for my cognition and he's also created a few startups. So very much mm. his bag. Um, yeah. And then Aldi, our other co-founder, went off to pursue their own projects. So um, for a long time, I guess me and Dan worked on Calder together as two human beings. And we just found that we couldn't boil the ocean because maybe you have this urge that instead of creating an LGBT mental health app or instead of Mm -hmm. LGBT people having to like, you know, um, almost like dismantle the stigma that they faced earlier on, we should be making the world a less stigmatizing place in the first place, a less... um, kind of heteronormative binary gender world um that would be one angle I think my feeling there is just it's really difficult to change people's minds and I think here and now we're in the society that we're in and it's not so much that that kind of burden should always fall on LGBT communities to like um you know to to educate but also to kind of like deal with the stigma themselves it's just I guess as an organization we just couldn't it's almost like a completely different offering like Stonewall for instance do amazing work in terms of like advocacy and promoting LGBT rights um, Mm. which I think is absolutely brilliant and then I think there was like this gap maybe which is a bunch of people want gender and sexuality affirming services and and like how do we fulfill that gap with the yeah. intention of, you know, doing one thing well. That's what we were trying to do with Calder. I also yeah. think that there's something about Calder which is joyful, which is like being queer is amazing. Um, you know, having realisations about your gender can be really stressful, but it can also be hugely liberating and hugely positive. Same mm. with your sexuality. So really the, the intention is that somebody connects with Calder finds you know community finds the right video therapy courses for them gets Mm -hmm. the right kind of we have these little queer affirmations also in the app which are like super joyful and positive um hopefully they kind of connect with all of that stuff and then they're able to um you know move forward and not constantly feel like things like internalized homophobia or um or internalized biphobia just stay with them forever you know it sounds like it's um one i can hear that the fact that you really enjoyed creating <laughs> creating the service um because i know you're a service designer but one of the things um that i can imagine was really important 
was building trust and building um, safety into the the service itself. Is that a fair assumption or am I? Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I guess we do this a few ways. One of the things is um, working with brilliant therapists who okay. are BACP registered and who have a lot of experience um, mm-hmm. and creating content that's trauma informed. So because it's a video therapy course, you can pause it when it's too activating in a way that you can't really do with like one-on-one therapy. So you can always kind of come back to it as you're delving deeper into those topics and you're thinking, actually, this is quite stressful because this is new to me. Um, So that's one thing. And then another thing is we have like a code of conduct. So the, the Calder app is like daily sort of quick things that you can do. So daily affirmations, daily meditation, daily gratitude journal, which are kind of proven to be really effective in mental health in general and then Mm. there's these video therapy courses which is like things like exploring your sexuality exploring your gender and then kind of we've got plenty of video courses on separate different topics and then there's some mindfulness sessions that's the kind of app and then we also deliver mindfulness sessions so with the mindfulness sessions we have this really clear code of conduct so the mindfulness coach comes in and they explain the code of conduct to everybody every time and I think that promotes a sense of safety but also a sense of like rhythm so you sort of come to the sessions and you know you're going to be safe because you know that it's going to be similar each time um Mm. so yeah I think things like having just the, the kind of stuff that you have in any mental health service which is like code of conduct um incident reports if anything does come up and then we have like an urgent support button and plenty of signposting in case people Mm. are seeking more like uh emergency type services like shout or the samaritans okay so how do you find therapists that kind of fit um with the objectives of called it because um presumably i know there's some people on the team that are qualified therapists but how do you screen for this like uh, do you have any advice for maybe psychologists that are listening and they might want to get involved but they might feel like they're they're not able to present themselves because they might be hetero or or, or otherwise what advice yeah. do you give them? um so the way we find therapists is we just reach out to them cold we find them online and read a bit about them um yeah and then reach out to them cold. And generally some of the courses we developed, we sort of spoke to a therapist and we're like, okay, what kind of topics do you like writing about? The other thing that's tricky with finding therapists is like, you can be a really brilliant therapist Mm -hmm. in a group setting or one-on-one, but you might not be that comfortable with doing things like content creation, which is what's needed for the app. So we're generally looking for LGBT therapists who have lived experience of the content that they're writing about and are comfortable with doing things like writing really so yeah but I mean we just we've been really lucky we just found absolutely um amazing therapists like um Dora Devasi is one of our therapists and they wrote our course about they wrote some of our gender courses and they were just absolutely brilliant so how does it work then um you know how do one people find it and how do they hire a therapist can you give us an overview of how they how people engage with the service and do you have any um sort of 
results and in, in, in being able to see how it's growing or what, what can people do to get involved as well like you know there's so many I've got so many questions about this that yeah I'm, I'm yeah really curious it's great but how do people find it and how do they, how do they get involved so if people are looking for um, LGBT mental health support, you can just yeah. type Calder into your Google Play Store or your iOS store, download yeah. it, create an account, and get, and then it's all content on the app. So we wanted to create something that was super affordable, especially for people who might be younger when they're just starting to think about their gender and their sexuality. Yeah. Um, so you can download it right away from the app, from the app stores, and then... Um, pay a subscription there's also a free trial and there's also some things that you can do on the app for free if you just want to engage with those things um so we we didn't focus on kind of one-on-one therapy because you can find you can find um lgbt therapists on platforms like pink therapy which is a great platform it's just um if you're still questioning, you might not even realize that that's what you need. So with Calder, we make TikTok videos and Instagram ads and things like that. Um, and we want to, we've also done some partnerships with influencers and a partnership with Sweatcoin, the walking mm. app. So people can find it that way. And then, especially if you're on TikTok, like TikTok mm. might um, kind of send you Calder's, in Calder's direction, and then you can download it and have a proper look. Are you able to talk about the the price and what the subscription looks like? Yes. Um, so for $29.99 for a year, you get access to everything Calder, basically all of the video wow. therapy courses. And for free, you get access to the daily activities. So what are those daily activities? You mentioned their mindfulness. Yes. Um, meditation. So- I guess I'm particularly excited about the queer affirmations because if you think about the sort of world around you, there are a lot of like heteronormative affirmations. So for instance, like TV shows with heterosexual characters um, and kind of the way that people talk about relationships is often with the assumption that there's like a man and a woman. Um, So Mm. the idea with queer affirmations is just things like you are valid and you are seen and no matter what your gender or your sexuality is, you're loved, these sort of affirmations, you you don't you underestimate how much you kind of need to hear these type of things each day and how affirmations can um kind of support your mental health because they're they're about refocusing on the good and refocusing on the positive. So we have those in the app. Then we have the gratitude journal, which is the same kind of pedagogy. Um like mm. as, just as humans we're wired to focus on the the negative in life because we're looking out for danger all the time whereas if you take stock of what you're grateful for in your life or in yourself or things that have happened this today um as small as a good cup of tea um the the that's what the gratitude journal is for and then the meditation is like you know you can just click on it use it anytime quick meditation Mm -hmm. and there's some longer meditations in there but the quick meditation is quite nice to do each day and what about peer-to-peer support? Is that something that you explored? Um, I know, remember back to a research project that I did, connecting um, within the community is something that's quite powerful. Is there something that you've explored about bringing the community, the localized community together? Yeah, so um, in terms of peer support, we started with a big Facebook group and that was our way of mm. testing Calder, this hypothesis that, 
people wanted LGBT mental health support, we we started in a Facebook group to kind of sort of test that assumption. And we found it was quite buzzing when it was on Facebook because people are already on Facebook. And then when we brought that community aspect over to the app, um, it just wasn't as buzzing, I think, because it's not in people's habit to like log on and and keep chatting Mm -hmm. in a sort of forum way. And there are also places like Reddit and places like that where people can do like forum type community support. So then we really Mm -hmm. broke it apart and we were like, well, what is peer support? What is community support? It's not just a forum, right? You can can access peer support in so many different ways. So another thing we tried was um, these mindfulness sessions. And that's a good way of people coming together, especially... It, you don't have to come to the mindfulness sessions because you feel isolated. But if you do feel isolated and mm. you also don't necessarily want to talk to somebody in your life about your gender straight up, um, that mm. can be a really positive space. I think the thing that's nice about the mindfulness sessions is like you you have an invitation to say your pronouns up front. And then yeah. if next session you actually think, do you know what? I'm still experimenting with pronouns. I'm still getting to know myself and how I want to identify and how I want others to refer to me. You can just change Mm. them. And in that group, people don't bat an eyelid at that. So I think that's something I've found really positive and inclusive. Um, Mm. So yeah, that's another element of peer support. But I think in the future, it would make sense to bring peer support into it in another way. Um, Oh, another thing we experimented with was having like a six week course instead of it just being you download the app and you just use it continually. What would happen if we brought together a group just for six weeks, again, online, everything's always been online with Calder, um, to see, yeah, how that would work. And the health outcomes are really positive, but at the same time, people said they wanted to be able to access stuff if and when they needed it. So some of the the actual timings were just inconvenient for people, which is why we pivoted to creating video course content and having you know some of these questions you're having are quite private so that's why Mm. the video courses made a lot of sense one of the things that i had uh, a question for was was how you handle the data like in those meditation courses um how do you provide the control back to the person who's attending those things do you display their their face is it a video session is it a zoom call is that something that you encountered that sometimes people just don't want to give their name or show their face um is that something that you encountered in the research yeah the showing the face thing is tricky Hmm. if there's a person in the mindfulness session who doesn't show their face it's more kind of uncomfortable and I guess potentially dangerous for the other participants because they don't know who's in that who's in that space so at first we were a bit more loose about that and we were like okay maybe some people don't want to don't feel comfortable on zoom or maybe they've I don't know got stuff going on in the background or something but in the end we came up with the policy that you have to have your video on during the mindfulness sessions um Mm because it promotes a sense of safety for everybody in the group. So we, we encourage people to rename themselves on zoom, you know, just how you could do that in the top right corner or whatever it is. Um, But in terms of faces, people did have to be like present and, and have their face on zoom. And then the same thing for the six week course, I think it helps people to connect. And then if people are more shy and they need a different type of support, obviously they can go to the app and then that's totally anonymous. So 
you mentioned there you don't do the one-on-one therapy yeah um what's the what's the reason behind that I think we could do the one-on-one therapy in the future the reason is um places like pink therapy and there are other directory websites where you can find a therapist Mm. exist but having another directory for lgbt therapists doesn't necessarily solve the problem because they're still expensive and they're still super booked up the the supply Mm. and demand problem still there whereas if you get for instance, the content that an, that a, let's say, a gender-affirming therapist would be able to give you and put it in a video course, then everybody can access it much cheaper. Mm. One of the things, and hopefully I'm not coming too left field here, Charlotte, um, where, you know, I'm as, as I mentioned, I'm still kind of improving the language that I use all the time, like, you know, and I've, I've definitely, you know, improved over the last decade and, and making sure that I, I don't make slip ups effectively, mm-hmm. but I do coaching and I know an awful lot of leaders struggle with a lot of the language that's used, not out of prejudice, just out of fear of getting things wrong yeah, and, and potentially upsetting people. And even me saying that now I've got <laughs> a level of anxiety because I, it's never my intent if, if I've made mistakes in this, in this call, I was going to say phone call how or or do you have any recommendation of resources where people can learn to i guess improve their language because um i remember one um their cpo and they were basically saying to me um oh like i I wish i had somebody that could actually help me improve uh the language that's used in my day-to-day life because they find themselves saying stuff like hey guys and I'm like, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely use that one. And they're like, really? Why? And I'm like, well, and I find myself doing as much as I can, but I would like to learn an awful lot more. And I know this isn't probably part of the the service that called Calder provides, but there's definitely something out there for, for people just to just to learn and stay up to date. Not up to date, but just to, you know, making sure that they're able to to prevent any of these kind of because most of my friends want to be inclusive yeah um, yeah I totally get what you're saying I think um I think I think in general people can recognize somebody who makes a mistake and has good intentions yeah versus somebody who's just being you know homophobic or um or transphobic yeah. I think there's quite a thick line between you know accidentally um saying slightly the wrong thing and being actively homophobic and transphobic so i think part of the part of it is just you know people can tell you have good intentions and if you ever make a mistake you can always apologize um i think that's one thing and then the other thing is we create space are really good and i think do that type of work obviously places like stonewall are really good and you can yeah. sign up for newsletters as well from them, which is like just a really fun publication that has lots of LGBT news. Oh, and okay. you can sign up for We Create Space and Stonewall. And then that way you're kind of like, oh, this is cool. There's, you know, um, some controversy around this song and and learn about the different stuff that's yeah. going on. But I think, um, I think... What was I going to say about this? I think that people, I think that people aren't like kind of there 
waiting to kind of chastise somebody for saying the wrong thing. I think yeah. I think it's accepted that over time different language comes in and out of fashion. Like we've, you know, with Calder, we have to be super sensitive and we have sometimes said the wrong thing. Like for instance, being called the LGBTQIA plus mental wellbeing app is something yeah. we've worked on for a period of time because in some ways it would be it might be more inclusive to be called the queer mental well-being app but we found some people find the word queer more alienating and less positive whereas some people say lgbtqia plus isn't great because um it's got the i in there for intersex people but we don't have like a specific video course for people who are intersex and the experience of an intersex person is so different to the experience of say a gay person obviously you can be gay and intersex um so it's it is tricky to kind of like use inclusive language but also I guess we included like intersex in the LGBTQIA plus because we feel yeah. that lots of the lots of the challenges that intersex people are facing are similar to the rest of the community. But some intersex people say, like, yes, I'm intersex, but I don't want to be associated with Calder. Like we've had an Instagram message from somebody saying that, which I completely respect. But at the same time, there's a bunch of other intersex people who are like, we want gender and sexuality affirming mental health mm. support too. So I think that there's like, you know, the a tricky are, thing. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, How it's just a constant. Made, that's, that's something I remember someone asked me before, like, you know, because when I was in school um, way back in the 90s, folks, um, it was the LGBT community. Yes. And then, um, you know, extended to IA plus and, you know, where, where or how how does that evolve um in terms of you know is there i know stonewall is probably a really good location to go to but how does the eye enter into that situation when you just saw there like one person didn't want it one person did want it so how do you handle that how do you get around that to try and avoid conflict and try and avoid um upsetting people i think some form of conflict is inevitable in yeah. that um so f so in that instance there are still going to be some intersex people who say i don't feel part of the lgbt umbrella and that mm. isn't something that interests me or or supports me with what i need yeah. and then there are some intersex people who are like the you know things like the stigma and discrimination that we face is similar um, we're all fighting for, um, you know, LGBT rights in general, and therefore mm -hmm. I don't mind being included in that, in that umbrella. So I think some, um, yeah, some form of like debate there is just normal and healthy. I think even as I'm talking about all of this stuff, like yeah. there's nothing cohesive about, um, the LGBTQIA plus community really, apart from like vaguely yeah. some umbrella terms and like obviously people are having such different experiences so yeah. and I'm just kind of speaking from my experience and my opinion and the era that I'm from so mm. I think uh I've kind of where was I going with this so oh yeah with with people not being a not being a cohesive group like that can just be 
understood and recognized and then different people can speak about things in the way that they want the thing that I have found interesting is oh there's another way of talking about this which I think is maybe easier which is like when people talk about gender and sexuality in general and that being like gender sexuality relationship diverse being a nice kind of simple catch-all term not that you could talk about a simple catch-all term for something that's so wide but maybe the, the reason that I think say um we talk about bisexuality in the same breath as talking about trans rights or the the you know the rights of different people is probably because they're all connected to the patriarchy and the gender binary so if you are trying to like promote lgbt rights if you if you promote the rights of trans people you also promote the rights of gay people and bi people all at the same time because their interests are connected I guess is one thought and then in terms of talking about gender sexuality and relationship diversity if you think about it polyamorous people could be heterosexual but I kind of would still count them as like um, people who face similar types of stigma and have different and have similar types of challenges even though they're making like a relationship choice versus Mm. you know somebody who's gay so um I think maybe that's why gender, sexuality and relationship diverse is like a nice phrase because it's talking about people yeah. across a wide spectrum. Awesome. I think that's a, that's a really solid piece of advice, like, you know, um, for anyone listening there to to take that one on board. Can I go just go back a little bit more? Because um, as we're talking, I'm getting more and more questions, which is usually a sign of a good conversation, folks. Um, but I want to understand, you said there, um, way back at the start, um, if the community go to a therapist that I'd say is a is a traditional therapist that's in their local town or their village, okay, mm-hmm. um, what's happening in that existing service that's not meeting the needs other than the language? Is are, are the therapists so far behind that they're using offensive language or just unaware to connect or? What does that look like? Are you able to tell us a little bit more about that one? I'm keen to know more about that. Yeah, so I definitely don't think that, um, you know, all therapists don't have an understanding. Mm. I think therapy can be really helpful for some people and it can be less helpful for others. I think in terms of looking after your mental health in general, therapy isn't the only tool. You also want to, you know, in the middle of the night, if you have a panic attack, which I have done in the past, there is no therapist there for you in the middle of the night, right? But your phone is there with mental health apps on it. So um, I think that mental health apps are just another way of accessing mental health support. I think things like exercise, making friends, having good housing, all of these different things contribute to um, having good mental health. Um, And I guess... During the research, I also remember meeting an Italian person who was like, I want to speak to an Italian therapist in Italian. And I think that is just about wanting to talk to somebody who really understands your language and gets you, which is kind of, you know, that therapeutic relationship you have is really important. And if you feel understood and and kind of uh, you feel validated by your therapist, I think that's really important. I think maybe the only thing that could be bad about seeing 
a cisgender heterosexual therapist is if they misunderstand your problem mm. as um you know let's say you're polyamorous they think that you're you're having a problem because you're polyamorous or you're having a problem because you're gay that isn't okay. that isn't quite what's happening right you're yeah. you, you happen to be polyamorous and you're also experiencing some kind of you know depression yeah. or anxiety so yeah so they almost look at the orientation as being the issue not always obviously some no, therapists are brilliant i think yeah, yeah. and yeah but i mean any therapist no has a bias in some yeah. respects which i think that they try and do training to like be more aware of so what what about and again i'm just again a curious designer talking to another you know brilliant designer um but i want to understand like around creating um you know connecting people to the the physical therapists the real world therapists who get it is that something that is outside of the scope um of the service do you think i think it's outside of the scope so uh yeah i think it's outside of the scope for now but probably not out of the scope forever yeah absolutely there's so many things that um are still trickling in my mind like you know it's one of the first conversations in a while that I'm 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 somewhat kind of deeply curious but I do have a sense of nervousness about saying the wrong thing because I definitely want to make sure that um that comes across in this episode like if I have said anything that has been deemed offensive I'll I'll go back and I'll correct it Mm -hmm. um but I think this whole service it's just mind-blowing for me because again sometimes I've got the blinkers on and I don't really realize what it must be like um, and how difficult it must be like for some people out there to experience services that are not meeting the needs it's it's the curiosity that's within me as a service designer to constantly improve that so like hats off to yourself and Daniel for taking the initiative um doing the research and and really creating something that is hugely powerful and and admirable as well like for for the community because i'm learning as i go along um and i can just imagine how um appreciative people must be to see these kind of services emerge um what kind of feedback have you had from the community um who've started to use it um firstly thank you for those compliments that's lovely um and yeah we've had some really positive feedback so um we've had people who've come from tiktok and then been like oh this has been really helpful and we've had nice reviews we've had the mindfulness sessions have been super super like heartwarming because we have like a sharing session and people often you know they go through a journey with with us and me and daniel Mm -hmm. generally go to all the mindfulness sessions as well as the mindfulness coach um so it's been really nice to see people who for instance like struggled with work had like some kind of problem at work that they couldn't felt like they couldn't overcome at the start and then seeing them being talking later and being like I'm you know I've moved forward and I'm back at work and I'm happier um so that's just totally amazing and then we've also done some sort of mini health evaluation trials on the app so with the six-week course we did a health evaluation trial and we saw a decrease in anxiety and depression and then we did the same thing with the app just over two weeks. What kind of impact could it have over two weeks? And we saw some positive changes there as well. So that's been wow. just really, really nice. So I think I think it's still, you know, it's still the 
the journey in terms of mm. how they're creating LGBT mental health support, other organizations um, like thinking about doing similar things and other organizations bringing some of those ideas into their practice. Um, and then, and eventually we'll be in a place where there isn't a discrepancy between LGBT mental health kind of outcomes and general population mental health outcomes that's what I want to see ultimately which is in some ways bigger yeah. than Calder and bigger than me which is positive I think yeah it's that 10,000 feet kind of perspective of the problem but like it's definitely um it's providing huge um help to to the community um I'll put a link to to calder.co into the show notes for people to go over and check it out and if people want to reach out to you charlotte what's the best way to do that um yes um i'm on twitter at ci fountain um and there's also the calder instagram at team calder so yeah that's nice. a great way to stay in touch put a link to the show notes yeah no, absolutely and maybe linkedin as well we'll throw a link to your linkedin yeah yeah great absolutely i'll throw that one in there charlotte i i like to end all my conversations with thanking the guests for being open for being vulnerable and giving me your time and energy and your space um and i just want to say the same to you so thank you so much for for being so open in this conversation i really really enjoyed hearing and learning all about calda awesome thank you thanks so much for giving me a a platform and a chance to absolutely chat away about calda anytime there you go folks i hope you enjoyed that episode and if you enjoyed it and want to listen to more why not visit thisishatecd.com where you can learn more about what we're up to and also explore our courses whilst you're there thanks again for listening Thank you.